This episode is great for you or a friend or a family who are dealing with a disability, maybe a mindset concern, or being bullied at school. This speaker has been through a lot and he shares it all. Coming up next on The Giant Builders. Building spirituality, family, health, and business. This is The Giant Builders with Lois Wyant. Hey, Giant Builders, it's Tuesday at two, and here we are with Paul Fulchin. Hi, Paul. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Okay, so as Giant Builders, the concept is that we build people up um, in four areas, our um, spiritual, health, family, and business. And in reading your story, I would say that you are a giant builder and I really feel like your mom is a major giant builder too. So kudos to both of you. And why don't you go ahead and share with our learners your story? Yeah, absolutely. So I was born with something called cerebral palsy. And if your viewers don't know what cerebral palsy is, it's lack of oxygen to the brain at labor. And as a result of this, it can leave one side of the body paralyzed. It can affect your speech. And these things are permanent. They don't go away. You have it for life. So when I was born, I wasn't moving the right side of my body very much. And naturally, my mother was very concerned about that. So she got me to the doctors to get some testing done. And there I was indeed uh, diagnosed with the cerebral palsy. And this doctor thought was so severe that he thought I would never, ever be able to walk. And when I, when I got to a certain age, it would be a good idea to get me in a wheelchair because that was going to be my life going forward. Now, I've had many conversations with my mom about this. And naturally, when she heard that news, she was devastated. Uh, she said she cried herself to sleep that night, wondering what was going to happen to her baby boy. But she told me the next morning when she was getting me ready to start the day, I'm an infant. I can't talk at this time. I gave her a look, a look if to say, Mom, don't let this be my story. And that mama bear inside of her just started raging. And she got a second opinion a third opinion, a fourth opinion, a fifth opinion, finally found a physician willing to help. And with this physician's help and me doing physical therapy five to six times a week and my mom's unrelentless attitude to make sure that I was walking, I was walking between age two and three, a feat that four of the doctors thought that was impossible. So it was a huge part of my life. Now, I don't really remember that much because obviously it was two or three at the time. But I do remember being put into soccer roughly when I was about five years old. And at the time, I probably could run about 25 to 50 yards before my leg would give out. So I'm basically uh, standing there where kids are playing soccer around me. So I really wasn't having fun. And I remember one particular practice. I was just fed up. I was getting uh, uh, made fun of. And I was going to go to my mom and tell my mom, I want to quit. And I remember what my mom told me that day because it's held with me to this day in my business and in my personal life. She said, Paul, if you do not want to play soccer anymore, that is fine. But you need to honor your commitment. You committed to the season, so you need to finish out that season. And if you do not want to play soccer after that, you do not have to play soccer after that. And that's exactly what has happened. I'm 42 years old and I haven't played soccer since that season. <laughs> But I honor my commitments, and that's that's holds true to this day. And I got a big break right after that soccer season. Um, I got surgery on my right foot to tighten up the tendon to give me a little bit more spring in my step and to take away the pain that I was feeling when I was running. And this surgery 
was a game changer for me. I didn't know how big of a game changer it was until I switched schools. And it was my first day of PE, physical education. We were doing our stretches and the teacher says, okay, guys, run a lap. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. I'm going to run 25 to 50 yards. I'm going to stop. These kids are going to see that and they're going to start to tease me. But because of the surgery, it was different. I was able to go past that point where I normally have to stop. And I remember saying to myself, come on, Paul, you got this, buddy. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And I finished the lap with the other kids. On the outside, I kept it cool. But on the inside, I was like, yes, yes, yes. The first time in my young life where I fit in, I didn't stand out. I was just like every other kid. And because of the surgery, things did get easier for me. But I wouldn't consider them easy. When I was about 12 or 13 years old, my my parents divorced, so I had to switch schools. And that's a tough age to switch schools. Mm-hmm. Kids are going through hormonal changes. They're becoming teenagers. And a lot of them have been going to school with each other for years and years, and they've already formed their cliques, and they don't have any, uh, any time for anybody new. So just being a new kid alone, that's going to be tough. But I'm a new kid who walks with a little bit of a limp and holds his right arm a little bit differently, so it was even tougher for me. I couldn't break in. I couldn't make any friends. I was bullied, teased, spit on, tackled. You name it, they did it to me. And I come from this old school mentality where you didn't squill, you didn't tattle. So I held all this pain inside of me and I didn't didn't vocalize it to anybody. And while this was going on, I was raised Catholic. So my mom wanted me to go to a Catholic high school. So I had to take an assessment test to see where they were going to place me when I got to high school. Well, I must have bombed that test because when I met with the principal and my mom, the principal tells the both of us that she's going to put me at the lowest level possible and she doesn't expect much from me. I don't seem like I'm going to be college material after one test. This principal says this to oh. us. So now I think I'm stupid going back to a school that I'm getting bullied and teased in. I'm crying myself to sleep most nights going, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I just be like everyone else? And I don't know what came over me, but the start of eighth grade, I was sick and tired of feeling angry and sad all the time. I knew deep down those weren't my go-to emotions, but because of the environment I was in, those were the emotions that were coming up most of the time. So I thought to myself, what can I do to distract me from feeling that way? And I thought, what if I tried to set a goal for myself, focus in on the goal, and that will help me ignore all the outside noise? And I thought, well, what could my goal be? And that at the time, I really loved baseball. So I thought, what if I tried to make my varsity baseball team in high school? So I started playing fall ball, winter ball, spring ball. And if I wasn't doing that, I was throwing a tennis ball against the wall. And I was doing this constantly. And while I was going through this journey, I remember a, a coach coming to me one day after practice and said, Paul, you play a lot of baseball. Do you have any goals with this? And I didn't want to tell him at the time that I wanted to make my varsity baseball team because I, I thought he'd laugh at me. Somebody with cerebral palsy making a varsity baseball team? Get out of there. But he kept asking me that question. Finally, he got me at a weak moment. And I blurted out that I wanted to make my varsity baseball team in high school. And I was bracing myself for him to to laugh at me. But he didn't. He paused for a second. And he said, that's doable. And I'm like, what? That's doable? He goes, yes, it's absolutely doable. But you have to have other people keep you accountable for this goal. And I go, what do you mean by that? He goes, Tomorrow after practice, you're going to go in front of the team and tell the team that that's your goal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I do not want to tell them that. They just started accepting me. And if I tell them that, they're going to start making fun of me again. He goes, Paul, the only way you're going to reach this goal is other people need to know about this goal to keep you accountable. So when you're low, they pick you up. So I reluctantly agreed. 
And the next day after practice, I was shaking. And I went in front of the team and I told the team my goal. And again, I was bracing myself for the team to start to laugh at me. But they didn't laugh at me either. They started clapping. And the great thing about this, I know this now. I didn't know this when I was going through this. But I started to send a different energy out towards these kids. I started to gain more confidence in myself, my shoulders back, my head up. And as a result of this new energy, I was sending out to these kids. They started sending me a different energy back. In other words, instead of bullying and teasing me, they started rooting for me. So my high school career was much, much different than my middle school career, all because of how I carried myself. And that alone was the win. But the cherry on top was I was able to make my varsity baseball team as a junior and a senior. And my senior year, I pitched a three-hit shutout. They poured the Gatorade on me, and I felt so alive. I felt so good about myself. I graduate high school, and I start to reflect on that goal. Like I told you before, I didn't think I was ever going to make my varsity baseball team. It was just a way to, to distract me from all the bullying I was facing. and That was strictly it, but I was able to make that goal. So I started to think about what that principal said to me years earlier about not being college material. See, all through high school, I pretty much mailed it in. I just did enough to get by. I thought to myself, what's the point? I'm not college material. Uh, not waste any time. Let's just, just do enough. Stay eligible play baseball and move on with yourself. So my grades weren't that great. But I thought, if I could make this goal happen about making the baseball team, why can I set another goal for myself to say that I am college material? So I enrolled into a junior college because that was the only place that would accept me at the time. I got myself a math tutor. I got myself a tutor for other subjects. I went to the math lab. I did this five to six times a week. And as a result of this hard work, I took my barely a 2.0 all the way to 3.5 where I was able to transfer to a four-year university and graduate and become college material. And I so wanted to go back to that principal and say, see, see, you were wrong. I was college material. But you know what? I thought about that. I should thank her. Because all through college, I heard her voice telling me that I wasn't college material. And my next thought was, I'm going to show you that I am. So I hit the books hard because of that motivation. So I've forgiven her and I move on. And now I'm at the time of 22, 23 years old. I have no life experience whatsoever. I have no idea what the heck I want to do with my life. And I had a family friend who was a CEO of a, of a small bank. And he said, hey, we're hiring mortgage loan officers. You want to give it a try? And I'm like, why not? I'm not doing anything right now. So I go, yeah, let's do it. And I was so excited. It was my first adult job. I had many other jobs, but this was my first real adult job. And I was excited to start my, my day on Monday, get things going. But when I got there, no one wants to talk to me. I'm sitting alone at lunch. I'm getting shunned. I'm thinking to myself, I haven't felt this way since middle school. What the heck is going on? And I quickly realized what was going on. Everybody knew that I knew the CEO of the company. So it wasn't because of my talents. It's because of who I knew. So what they were going to do is they were going to chew me up and spit me out because I didn't belong there. But I thought to myself, I'm going to show them that I do belong there. So I dug in. I had a positive attitude. I didn't complain about the workload. And from afar, because they didn't want to talk to me, I was observing what the top loan officers did in the company. And I remember my first day of wanting to go out in the field and get loans for the first time. I had my rate sheets ready. I was going to go out the door and and and, and sell. And uh, I remember the CEO of the company stopped me going, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm ready. I'm going to go out and get loans. And he's like, no, 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 no. 
Let's give you a little more training. Let's do it for a month or two longer, and then we'll send you out. You're just not ready yet. I'm like, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. Let me go. He's like, okay, go. And he was absolutely right. I needed way more training. I was falling on my face left and right. But months would go by, and I started to figure out what value I could add to these clients. And I started bringing in loans and more loans and more loans. And two years later, I become a top producer in this company. And the people who didn't want to talk to me when I first got there are now coming to me with questions on how I was able to turn things around at such a fast clip. And I thought this was going to be my life's work. I loved it. I loved being in the mortgage industry. I was living for Mondays. I loved Mondays because I couldn't wait to start the work week. Then 2008, 2009 hit and the economy tanked it. The whole bank that I was working for went belly up. And then went another company and that company went belly up. Then another company. And I, I did this like six or seven times. And I was really losing the luster uh, of being in the mortgage industry. And I, I wasn't living for Mondays anymore. I was living for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, <laughs> barely Sunday, because Sunday night, I would start to get what's called the Smondays and start to think about my Monday morning and it would ruin my night. And I, I couldn't have fun with my friends or family anymore because I was just stressed out about Monday. So it, it just was not turning out to where I wanted to be. But I remember the last place I was at, they brought this motivational speaker in to, to motivate us, to, to drum up the numbers. And the guy blew me away. The guy was tremendous. And after the presentation, I went up to him to tell him how great of a job he did. He was very, very gracious. He allowed me to pick his brain a little bit. He told me he started as a life coach. I'm like, life coach? What the heck is that? He explained that to me. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I want to start to get into that. So my off time of doing the mortgage stuff, I was I was getting my coaching certificate and I started to tell everybody that this is what I wanted to start to get into. And people were humoring me going, OK, buddy, go ahead and save the world. But before that, go ahead and get some mortgage, get some loans in, will you? But things started to get serious. I had my website up and I started posting things on my social media. And I remember the legal team came to me and said, what are you doing? And I was very, very transparent. I said, you know, I'm going to keep my mortgage job. That's going to be my primary. And I'm going to do the side gig of coaching. And they're like, this could be a conflict of interest. We're going to get back to you. I'm thinking, that doesn't sound good. And they come back with this five-page report of what I couldn't, couldn't say. And I look at this report and I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make any headway in the coaching world if I follow this to the T. So I had to make some changes. So for a year, I didn't do any coaching. All I did was mortgage and I paid down all my debts. And a year later, I quit. And people are looking at me like I'm nuts. Like, you just made President's Club. You're an excellent loan officer. What are you doing with this coaching nonsense? I'm like, I, I, I want to transition. I want to do this. And they're like, the coaching thing is pie in the sky nonsense. I'm like, maybe so, but I want to give it a go. And they're like, okay, you'll be back. And for a while, I thought they were going to be right because I wasn't getting any coaching uh, clients. I wasn't getting speaking gigs. I was getting nothing. I did some soul searching on, on why that was. And I come to the realization what the problem was. How do I expect people to be vulnerable with me if I'm not vulnerable with them? See, the story I told you about having cerebral palsy, I wanted to bury that story. I wanted to tell a soul about that story because all through growing up, all I wanted to do was fit in. I didn't want to stand out. I just wanted to be like everyone else. So just the thought of bringing that up, I'd be near and dear crying. But I thought the only way I could do that is if I own that story. 
So I started telling friends about that story. I started going on podcasts and telling people that story. I could tell the story wherever I could. And I started to take the emotion out of it. And I remember my first client ever. He said, Paul, I don't have cerebral palsy, but I have X, Y, and Z. And I feel like you understand me. I would be honored if I could hire you to be my coach. And we've been building coaching clients from there. We've been doing speaking gigs. And it brings me to present day talking with you. Oh, well, that's exciting. Oh, yeah. man. I'm overwhelmed. I, I was almost starting to cry when you were talking about your mom. <laughs> like, well. yeah. What type of client is your best client for a call to action? Well, I have like it's 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 kind of evolved through the years. It, it first started, and I still do a lot of these clients. Uh, people with uh, physical limitations. We focus on what we can do, not what we can't do. We get out get out of that mindset of all the stuff we can't do, and we focus in because there's so much that we can do. And then it's metamorphosed into uh, business clients because I got a few business clients because of my background in, in mortgage. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of been a hodgepodge of, diff of different uh, different people. But th that's where I started. I started with people with physical limitations, breaking that, that limited belief about themselves to focus in on all the great stuff that you can do. Well, that is a really hard area is, is to change your your mindset and your belief about yourself, what would be a first step to do that? The first step is acceptance on who you are, accepting the great person you are. And then we add in gratitude. What is going well in our lives right now? There's always something. And even if you had a bad day the day before, there's all, you could just be, I'm breathing and I can continue on. Because when you start to train your mind to look at positive things, positive things happen because your mind going, oh, that's what you want to look for, positive things. Okay, let me point them out for you because we can all go the negative way. Uh, believe me, I've been there, right? I've been driving to work before and you get a flat tire and you say, this would happen to me. I would get a flat tire. Bad things like this happen to me. And I would say to that individual and I would say to myself, yeah, because you're looking for all the bad things. How often do you buy a car? And all of a sudden, you drive that car around the, the highway, and you see that same exact car that you bought. You didn't see it before you bought the car, but you see it now because yeah. your mind's looking for it. It's the same thing with a positive and negative mindset. And believe me, I know it's not easy, but that's the starting process. we got to build a foundation of self-esteem. Okay, so tell us more about what you mean with self-esteem. Okay. When when I have clients that come to me and they, they have different goals or aspirations, the first thing we talk about is our foundation, our self-esteem. It's huge. We have to believe in ourselves. We really, really do. And, and accept who we are. Accept our positive traits and accept our negative traits. We accept it all. Because when you start believing in yourself and you, and you set a goal, you, maybe you set a lofty goal, you're going to hit challenges. I don't care who you are. Challenges are going to come up. And if you don't have belief in yourself, and you hit a challenge, what's going to happen is you're going to hit that challenge and say, you know what, ah, this is too hard, or I really don't want this. I, I don't know if I want to go down there. I don't want to feel this uncomfortable feeling. I, I don't want to do it. But if you truly have belief in yourself and truly have belief in your goal, when you hit that challenge, you're going to see yourself, okay, this is really, really, really hard. Okay, let me take a step back a second, and let me find a way to get over this challenge. 
because I have belief in myself and I believe in this goal and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And that it all starts with us and what we believe in it. And that's the, that's the most powerful thing that we can do. So start believing in your, 